Tonight, if you'd like to turn to um, the book of Proverbs and uh, chapter 1, we'll have a, have a quick look there before we, before we move on. But the book of Proverbs and chapter 1, we all know the background here with regard to the book of Proverbs written by Solomon, who was granted wisdom from God simply because he did not seek it for himself, but sought wisdom to rule wisely over the nation of Israel. You'll notice there in those first few verses of uh, the book of Proverbs there, just draw your attention to the, to the words that are there. Wisdom, wise, understanding, knowledge. And if you get hold of a concordance and, uh, and look up those words, there are hundreds of references to those words, wisdom, wise, understanding, knowledge. A lot of them occur in the book of Proverbs and in other places as well. Knowledge. Knowledge can be for its own sake. There's a lot of things that we can learn. We can learn by rote. I remember as a kid learning the, the multiplication tables a long, long time ago, going to school in the car. I learned them all. I didn't really know what they're all about. Um, it wasn't until later on that I actually started to do any calculations that it was a help for me. And we can learn things that way. We can learn things by rote without really under, fully understanding what they mean. <coughs> we can also clutter up our minds with all sorts of things that are not relevant. Our minds can be loaded with all sorts of trivia, and uh, I think we're all we've all got that problem. It can be a problem. We, our, our minds sometimes can be loaded up with trivia, but when it comes to spiritual knowledge and spiritual understanding, we tend to struggle, don't we? Trivia gets in the way, and I don't know whether you've ever been to a trivia night. I remember going to one a long time ago to raise money for the preschool or something. And uh, all kinds of questions here are asked. Some are not many of them relevant. It doesn't really matter much to our spiritual life how many husbands Elizabeth Taylor had or some, all, all these other things that they come up with. But our minds can sometimes be loaded with trivia, but Solomon in his wisdom in verse 7, if you just uh, go down to verse 7, said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the uh, beginning of knowledge. And at that point our mind should start to make that change from unloading the trivia and to take on, to upload, we'll use a, a computer term, we'll upload something that's much more useful for us, some spiritual knowledge and some spiritual understanding. Fools despise the wisdom and instruction. And we know that to be true, don't we? Fools just despise wisdom and instruction. Some people think it's beneath them to take instructions. They think they know it all anyway. If you have a look at our text there in verse 5, it says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain unto wise counsels. 
And what a profound statement that is. A wise man will actually hear and start to listen to what, what people are saying. Take on board the things that are going to be helpful in his spiritual life. We'll increase his learning. We can put it away in our memory bank. And a man of understanding will attain unto wise counsels. There's a lot of counsellors going around, plenty of people offering all kinds of advice. A lot of it's free advice and it's worth about what it costs. <laughs> and uh, there's so much of that going on in our world today. In verse 6 there, there's a little bit more insight given to us in verse 6, uh, especially in the first part of verse 6, where it says, To understand a proverb and the interpretation... To understand it and the interpretation of it. And there's a battle going on between knowledge and wisdom. There's plenty of people with lots of knowledge, uh, lots of clever people in the world with lots of knowledge. Some of it's just trivia, but some of it's of great benefit to us. Uh, our medical people, for example, the knowledge that they've acquired over the last hundred years or so has has uh, been of great benefit. You get oldies like I am uh, that have defied the uh, three score years and ten, probably because of good sound medical knowledge. A hundred years ago, the life expectancy for guys like me was probably only about 45. So that, that kind of knowledge is good. Knowledge versus wisdom and spiritual wisdom, that's where the challenge comes. To use the knowledge that we have to our spiritual benefit. That's the real challenge. To be able to, uh, to take on board the gospel message surely must be one of the wisest things that we could ever possibly do. The gospel message, to fully understand not only the narrative of the gospel, the events that occurred in the, um, in the gospel record, but to fully understand the fact that God came in fleshly form, sacrificed himself to establish a kingdom made up of sinners just like you and I and to give us the opportunity of eternal life. The wonderful gospel record. But there are people around and they've always been around and they're still around today. There are people around who want to, pardon me, hide the gospel message in a whole heap of theologic, uh, theological claptrap to hide the simple gospel message so that eventually not many people understand it. People get very confused about it. They do so quite often with great swelling words of vanity. Great swelling words. And there's a quote there from Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. Great swelling words of vanity. And the gospel message starts to become a plaything for people to play with. Something for deluxe Christians to play around with, to twist and to turn it around and to confuse everybody that they can. Some of them treat it as a bit of a science lesson, something like a science lesson, the cold hard facts. Head knowledge but nothing to do with heart knowledge. The heart remains untouched, untouched by the sword of the Spirit, referred, referred to by the Apostle Paul. 
And what a long journey it is between the head and the heart. How sometimes we can accumulate plenty of head knowledge but find it very hard to have it penetrate our heart. That wonderful gospel message, if it doesn't penetrate our heart, we've got a real problem. We've got a lot of work to do. If the sacrifice of our Lord and Saviour does not penetrate our heart, we are lost. It's a long journey, as I indicated, between the head and the heart. Some even reject the gospel because of its simplicity. All of the pretentious intellectuals, and there's plenty of them around today, if it doesn't challenge my intellect, it's not worth having. Pretentious intellectuals, you hear them and see them plenty of times on television, for example, on radio, writing columns in newspapers. Pretentious intellectuals who just don't get it. If it doesn't challenge their intellect, it's not worth having and they totally reject it. And they take the attitude that if they were to be penetrated by the Spirit, have their heart penetrated, they risk joining up with a lot of people who are not as smart as I am. What does that tell you? It tells you that they've got an ego problem, a pride problem. They don't want to associate with Christians because they consider that Christians are not as smart as they are. The gospel is a simple message. It can be understood by everybody. It can be understood by children. It can be understood by anybody. I'm reminded here of a story, and I've told this story before, of a a well-known Bible teacher in America who was the dean of a Bible college, and uh, his students were graduating and on graduation day, they asked him, well, now that we're going out in the world to preach the gospel, have you got something profound to say to us that we can take with us and use as something that will stand us in good stead during our ministry? And the wise old lecturer said, yes, I have got something for you. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And no doubt the students, as they went their way, probably remembered those words, probably for the rest of their ministry. But in the meantime, the biblical gymnastics go on, don't they? In today's age, the biblical—I'm calling them biblical gymnastics—how they can twist and turn, like the Pharisees in the New Testament time, and the heresies of the early church. And all the gymnasts are still here. We've still got them today. And uh, our main theme is over in Second Peter, if you'd like to turn over there. Second Peter and uh, chapter 2. Peter fully recognised the, uh, the issue here when he was writing this epistle. Second Peter and uh, chapter 2. And you'll see at the very beginning of that, The words again that we were looking at before, uh, especially in, in, 
In chapter 1 and other places, Peter talks about knowing. You can see it there in some of the verses. I've just got my eyes on verse verse 14 of chapter 1. Knowing. Knowledge again. Verse 6 back in uh, chapter 1. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Knowing. And uh, Peter has taken up that theme, the same theme as we were looking at there in Proverbs and chapter 1. Know these things, said Peter. Knowledge, we see it there in, um, all the way through. Verse 2, I've made a note of a few of them in chapter 1. You'll see it in, in verse 2, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, the word knowing. Verse 16, if we read that, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And down in verse 20 and 21, the same theme again, knowing, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. And didn't that verse set the uh, the cat amongst the pigeons? Knowing this first, said Peter, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. In other words, Peter is saying that if it doesn't mean the same thing to the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury as it does to you and I, we've got a problem. We could both be wrong, but we certainly can't both be right. And the Catholic Church, of course, got hold of that particular verse, verse 20, saying, okay, Scripture is not for private interpretation. You can throw your Bible away and we'll help you by burning a few of them, which they did, and we'll do the interpretation for you. We'll help you out. Just come to us and we'll help you out there. It's not for you to have a private interpretation of the scriptures. But that's not what Peter said. Peter said that we should all interpret God's word in the same way. It means the same thing to each and every one of us. God is not a God of confusion. If it doesn't mean if we don't apply the right rules of scripture and it doesn't mean the same to each and every one of us, we've got some work to do. God's message is for one and it's for everyone. The Catholic Church, of course, took hold of that and uh, from that from that heresy we get the forgiveness of sins by the priest. Um, they're well qualified after they have a few years in the seminary and wear the right clothes. According to them, they're well qualified for that job. And along with that, we have the doctrine of papal infallibility. It's not up for the people to have an opinion about any of these issues. The Pope speaks. He speaks for one and he speaks for all. In Psalm 119 and verse 7, God's word says, The testimony of the Lord is sure. It is sure. It is accurate. It is pure, it has integrity, it is the same for one, it's the same message for one as it is for all. Psalm 119 affirms this in many, many places. 
the affirmation of God's word. God's word is truth. It talks about its power and it talks about its immutability, impossibility that the word be changed. It stands as it is written and cannot be changed. Over in, Peter used the same expression over in chapter 3 and uh, verse 3. Knowing this first, where we turn over to the prophetic portion of Peter's epistle, where Peter says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. That fits in pretty well, doesn't it? The last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Peter was quite aware of which direction the Bible would be taken, that the heresies would creep in, and they have continued to be... Well, the, gymna the biblical gymnasts, gymnasts are still there today, twisting and turning the truth of God's word into fables. Knowing this first, said Peter, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. And verse 21 follows this up by saying, For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God, who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The scriptures, even though the, the prophets wrote them down, they were guided by the Holy Spirit and instructed every step of the way to write these things down, instructed by the Holy Spirit to do so. Many people have tried to play with the scriptures. We know that God's word, we can divide it if we doing an analysis of the scriptures. We can divide it into four parts, uh, the law, the historical section, the poetic uh, section, and the prophecy section. We know that in the section of law, well, the law is written down in great detail, not a lot of room to play with it. It's just simply a matter of sorting out which laws are for the nation of Israel and which laws apply to us today. The historical part of the scriptures, um, plenty of people have tried to say that the Bible is not an accurate historical record. One by one they've all come unstuck. As the archaeologists continue to dig up the historical records in the Middle East, one by one the sceptics have come unstuck. The, the Bible is an accurate historical record of everything that's occurred. The poetic section of the scriptures is uh, very hard to argue with. I love the poetic section of the scriptures. Um, in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the poetic sections in Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, beautifully written inspired writing and uh, not to be touched or changed. You've probably seen in some of the um, 
some of the modern translations, how they've tried to fiddle around with the poetic section of the scriptures and a lot of it is lost and becomes, the beauty of it is taken away. The prophetic section is the section that the, the contortionists play around with. They love to play around with prophecy. It's the toy of the heretics. In verse 20 of our section, we can see there that uh, it is not to be played with. It's not a play toy for the Church of Rome or anybody else. The Bible stands and the message remains clear. It's a universal message, as verse 20 tells us. It's the message for one and it's a message for all. It's not just for people who call themselves deluxe Christians. It's not just for the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury and anybody else you like to name. It's not just for them. It's for you and I and people with the most simple faith who understand the good news of the gospel that a, a saviour has been sacrificed to give them eternal life. The message is simple. Christ came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance and to establish a kingdom of those who simply trust in the words of the scripture. Jesus said that he came and he is the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. The message is not to complicate the scriptures. Pastor Bob, in some of the uh, instructions that he gave us, gave us some rules of interpreting scripture. And there are only three or four of them and that if we stick to those rules that we really can't go wrong. Firstly, to take a panoramic view of scriptures. To get, get to the end of the book of Revelation and say, OK, what's the book saying? To take an overall panoramic view of the scriptures. And it says that all power was given unto Christ and he is the way, the truth and the life. Simple. Life for each and every one who puts their faith and trust in him. Take a panoramic view of the scriptures. Rule number two, do not allow the obscure to have precedent over the things that are plain. Don't try to get bogged up with things that uh, seem to be obscure, but keep looking and the things that are plain and obvious take precedent over the things that seem a little bit obscure. And lastly, to always compare scripture with scripture. And uh, doing that, we can't really go wrong. And the last one that pertained to the particular issue that we're looking, we're looking at was the law of first mention. The laws that stand and the laws that uh, we should abide by are the ones that Jesus referred to when he said, in the beginning, Jesus established the law of first mention going right back to Genesis when our Lord said, in the beginning it was not so, or in the beginning. And we can analyse and uh, interpret scripture by these rules. What a wonderful blessing it is 
to have a simple gospel that shows us so clearly that our Lord and Saviour sacrificed all that we can have eternal life through him. Came to establish a kingdom made up of people, sinners like you and I, repented sinners, to establish that kingdom that was spoken of so often in the Gospels. What a wonderful message it is. It's the same message for each and every one of us and it should fill us with hope and joy at every turn. It should help us in the times when we struggle as well as in the times when we rejoice. When, when things in, in life please us and uh, we have so much to be thankful for. Even in adversity we have so much to be thankful for because of our loving and holy and righteous God who takes care of each and every one of us.